Hebrews chapter 4, I'm just going to read two verses this morning. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you just for the sufficiency of your word. I thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the joy we know is true in Christ. Your word reveals that to us, reveals it to me. I pray, God, that as we take time to peer into what you would have us to hear and to consider, that you would encourage us, encourage me, as I confess to you that I need your help this morning. I pray, God, that you would again hide me behind the cross, that we see the glory of Christ and the power of the gospel, and that we be strengthened, equipped, and edified by the text this morning, not just this morning, but for the times that we have to interact with the society in this world. Pray, God, that we're guided and instructed by your word. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe see it. I started with kind of this, this spirit of confession, and I guess I'll continue. In reading this text here, you know, I, I have to admit to you that I'm convicted personally when I think about what it means to spend time in the Word of God. I'm convicted about that because I know I don't represent the perfect version of that or I don't always pursue the word of God as I should. And I'm not supposed to admit that, I guess, as a pastor and a preacher, but uh, here we are. That is a sometimes can be a, a struggle with me. It's not necessarily the, a, a discipline aspect that I'm speaking of, but this text specifically gives opportunity to visit why it may be difficult. I don't necessarily find it difficult when studying for utilitarian purposes or to use it for the benefit of others. So if I'm studying in order to preach, not necessarily a difficult thing. It's, there's a reason for it. I'm in the text because I'm giving the text to other people. Utilitarian purposes found in preaching or evangelizing or sharing encouragement with others is something I find joy in. I'm thankful for it, and it's something I'm often energized by. But it's the personal devotion It's times I struggle with. Now, I often meditate throughout the week on the text that I'm preaching and looking forward to sharing with you all what God's Word is saying. And yes, this is motivating because I know that there's a giving, there's a pouring out that there will, there will actually hopefully be an encounter with God and what God is actually telling us. There's a different engagement with the text in the context of personal devotion. In the utilitarian sense, I'm projecting text externally. And the time that I spend is 
for the benefit of others, but with personal devotion, I'm acknowledging my own need. In that time, there's something of a, a dependence that I find, or there's, there's a very clear sense of weakness that I'm acknowledging. I constantly discover my need for God when I spend time in personal devotion. So here's what I'm articulating as far as why I struggle spending time in the Word of God at times. It's been my experience often that intentional study in God's Word, for me, is less about just reading the words. It's more about the words reading me, discovering things about myself that I wasn't necessarily looking for, wasn't trying to find an aspect of reality that that the, the text seems intent on revealing in me. And knowing that, knowing that that's the encounter I'm going to have with the Word of God sometimes causes me to back away or not want to know all the time. Scripture contains such a penetrating truth about humanity and the world we occupy. And, and sometimes it's, it's just a startling encounter to be met with such direct language that doesn't apologize, doesn't skirt over the actual real truth. It, it goes directly to the source. It's sometimes startling to encounter that. We're used to people avoiding objective truth. We're used to people using political correctness or language that makes certain groups of people feel more comfortable. We're used to people making excuses for what needs to be said and ultimately never saying what needs to be said. But when you read Scripture, the experience of reading Scripture is like nothing else. You're met with truth that is unapologetic, unedited, sustained through generations, consistent. And still, we, as human beings, we can read into what Scripture says from the, from the point of our perspective and our opinions. Does it change what it says and why it says it? So what we, we read here this morning, these two verses, these verses are a word for the people who are reading this letter, and it's been preserved today for our benefit. And those who are reading the words at this time back when the Jewish Christians were receiving this letter for the first time, I mentioned this in our study of chapter one, but the texts weren't compiled in such a way where we could distinguish them as New Testament verses structured by chapters and books. This was just a letter by itself. And today, while we, we're thankful and we can look through and we can say this is verse 12 and this is verse 13 and the organization is evident, that's not the emphasis. The power in these sentences should resonate deeply in the heart of humanity. 
Now, all of that is, is, is important and to step back and maybe get a broad sense of why these texts are here, or at least the, the emphasis and the importance of these texts. But there's a specific purpose why they are located right here. You can preach a sermon or you can listen to a devotion that specifically focuses on these two verses, notwithstanding the the context or even understanding how we got here. There's something to be understood that's greater than this context, and it works throughout the entire rhythm of Scripture, but there's also purpose for why it's located right here. And that reason is it's essentially summing up the warning that we began to explore in chapter 3. The warning is being summed up in these two verses. There are absolutely encouraging implications to reflect upon, and we should reflect upon the encouraging emphasis that we can see in these verses. But let's visit this morning this text in the context of what's already been said. So verse 12 begins, the word of God is living and active. It is alive and active. It is accomplishing its purposes. The word, what is the word being represented here? We could read this and say the word, the 66 books, the Bible, the the package that we know, but the word that's being focused on and hit on here is specifically Psalm 95, the Psalm 95 context that we have been exploring and reading way before now. Do not, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. The word of God is what this author is pointing to. The word of God being contained in those verses from Psalm 95. It reinforces to us that this psalm was not just written for that time. That account was not just for the book of Numbers, for the Exodus generation. The Sabbath was not just for the time of Genesis, but the Word of God is alive and active now. The urgency of considering this text is right here. It's present with the folks who are reading this letter. What was said at that time is still effectual. It is still powerful. The word active translated or used in the same way as the word powerful. Effectual. It is still happening. It is history in progress. It is still urgent. It is still immediate. The Word of God being God-breathed. God breathes words. Life begins. Life ends. Time starts. Times stop. That's God-breathing words. 
They are spoken and they are speaking. It's not just information. It's not just you reading and downloading content. This is something that is living and active. It is resonating. It is responding to life around you. And it is pointing to something beyond what we can consider in time. It is alive. It is active. Decisively acting as God's will determines. These readers are to consider the warning in the immediate sense. Don't just reflect on what tradition told you about what Psalm 95 meant or the story of the wilderness, but understand the now implications. That's how they could read this with conviction. That's how they could be convicted by it is to understand that these words, these words are timeless. So we understand that the Word of God is living, it's active, and it's powerful and effectual. But how? How is it powerful and effectual? Well, let's continue. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What is all that language saying? I'll tell you what it's not saying. It's not an opportunity to make a case for the whole body, soul, spirit ideology. It's not the opportunity to engage with the whole dichotomous, trichotomous discussion where human beings are made of two or three parts. That's not the emphasis that you're supposed to take away from this text. What you read here. It's poetic language that's used to communicate the action of God's word, which penetrates human personality to its deepest depths. It's an illustration of surgery. This communicates the surgical precision with which God cuts through all the costumes, all the disguises, all the armor that we wear for external view to speak to who we really are. Not only that, not only just the external, what we wear in our faces and how we emotionally communicate, but it goes deeper than that. It cuts past cognition. It cuts past the effective science of human emotion. It cuts down to the very core of who we are as humans. We find that at the core of our humanity, we are met with God's word. There are people who are indifferent to this Bible. They're, they're looking at this Bible and saying, ah, I could take it or leave it. But when you read these words, these words are not just words for you to take or to leave or to add to your book collection. These words are cutting to the reality of who you are. How are they powerful and effectual? They're also as we continue with this verse, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Read these passages and understand this audience again. There were those who may have been reading this who had visibly identified with the household of faith. There were those who visibly identified with the church. But they would not enter into God's rest. 
These words are cutting to the core of that reality. Where it says here literally that God's word is able to discern the true thoughts and the intention of each person. The word of God and the authority of God's word doesn't just rest on rules and requirements. It stakes claim to know us like nothing and no one else. The illustration that maybe we don't pay as much attention to as we should because it's mentioned so quickly in the book of James chapter 1 is this idea that the Word of God is a mirror where you literally walk in front of a mirror and see who you are. The warning in that chapter is don't walk away from that mirror and forget who you are. The mirror is God's Word telling you this is who you are. You can't escape it. This is who you are. Do not forget this, but this is who you are. This was interesting about understanding <laughs> the word discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart is gives this sense here in this warning passage, and it will be echoed later in the book of Hebrews, is that God's judgment will be perfect. There'd be no dispute to to someone who judges you based on who you are, not who you present yourself, who you are. The question may have been ringing out in reading these words in this audience, you know, well, well, who were these Jewish Christians? These are these, these introspective questions. Who are you? What does the Word of God reveal about you? What does this passage, this excerpt from Psalm 95 reveal about these people? There's judgment on the line. Continue to verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We should just pause, consider the weight of what literally is communicated here. We are all naked and exposed before God. Not just so he could see us, but to whom we must give account account. The word intimacy, for me, the word intimacy immediately comes to mind when reading this. Oftentimes we think of intimacy with God in a positive sense and what that means for the Christian, and that's true. We, we, We have intimacy with God because of what Christ has done for us. He's made a way for us to have peace with God and ultimately have relationship with God, and that's the most pure, perfect result of blood being spilled. But there's more here. There's more in considering God in the context of intimacy. Because what we read here is an implication for all of creation. 
And there's many people, and there's Christians, and then there are non-Christians who can at least agree on this idea that God created the heavens and the earth. Many people who can just agree on that general idea. Now, the specifics of how that plays out, that's where we all go into different directions. But this big idea that God created the heavens and the earth, there are many people who can agree on that. Now, if we can agree that God intricately designed each detail of the earth and all of its inhabitants, then he has an actively deeper, decisively deeper connection with all all of us, than we could ever imagine. If God is the designer, if God is the one who puts all of this together piece by piece, and he imagines it and he watches it from formation to fullness, while we can see all of these things, and he is the one who designed all of this thing, then that means that the connection there to what he knows about this planet is deeper than what we could ever, ever imagine. Having carefully knit together human beings from the dust of the ground, God has access to the human makeup like no one else. He knows all of us, and he knows all of us. The Word of God is the voice of God. Living and active knows those who are his. There are no shortcuts for people who do not persevere in his truth. There's no rest that remains for those who are not rooted in his promises. There is no escape for those who refuse the gospel. This is a sobering text for those who are reading this. This is sobering stuff. Whatever you thought, audience, Christianity was, there, there's, a, there's maybe a deconstruction or maybe a reemphasis for those whose faith may have been low at one point, and they're rediscovering what this really is. The implications of Psalm 95 were likely penetrating deeply into the core of their being and revealing the makeup of this church. A.W. Tozier sums it up this way. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit in all spirits, all being and every being, all creature in all creatures, every plurality in all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God knows all of these things intimately. Consider this in the context of the warning started in Hebrews 3. Verse 7, and lands here, Hebrews 4.13. In this warning, the followers of the way points them 
As followers of the way, we, we are pointed, they are pointed, and we are pointed also to Christ, to view Christ. These texts serve to reveal Jesus Christ. The Word of God is embodied in Jesus Christ. He's the living Word. The language of Hebrews 4, 12, 13 also tell us of our great Savior, King. We know and we celebrate that He is alive. He is risen. He is active. Contrary to whatever you want to read in the fake news and the real news, he saves and he is saving. You probably will not see a story that makes the main headline of an individual or a group of individuals coming to Christ. That's not something that we celebrate here on planet Earth, or at least mainstream media doesn't give any room or space for that. But we know Jesus Christ to be alive, active in the fact that the gospel is still saving now. We don't have to believe all the bad news about the falling church or the failing church or leaders who fell off their pedestal. We don't have to continue to, to find a, a level of despair in those things because Jesus is alive, saints, and he is saving. Jesus wields the sword that pierces, proceeds from his mouth in triumph. I want to ask everybody to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Our Jesus The Jesus who we believe divides the truth from error, judges perfectly and righteously. The word discerning, believing from unbelieving, he discerns. Jesus 
In his time on earth, there's often accounted in the Gospels where he discerned the thoughts and the intentions of those who were around him, the plots that were conspired against him, or the reasons why people would ask him questions in public spaces to try to make a fool out of him or to try to make people think less of him. Jesus discerned every last intention on planet earth. While he was here interacting with humanity, showing grace, love, patience, all these things, he's discerning everything that's happening. You know, some people that may be spooky in some kind of an NSA kind of way, but there's hope in that, in that he knows about every last one of us and still extends grace extends grace fully and completely and beckons those of us who will see that grace to come to him. What people had concluded about others and and cast them aside, he vindicates those who society condemns. And although all are naked and exposed before him, clothes us with righteousness. We're not just left naked and exposed to be embarrassed, but he, we are clothed with his righteousness. Now, in the way of application, obviously, the, the reflection here could be spend more time in the Word of God. But I want to acknowledge that there are many reasons that we may find ourselves out of touch with the Word of God. Just know. If you find yourself out of touch with the Word of God, just know that this affects everything. The more time you spend away from Scripture, it affects everything. Justification for sin becomes more normative. It becomes a practice that develops into a habit that turns into a lifestyle. You maybe even see fear begin to take precedent over faith where you, you're faced with obstacles or you're faced with moments to respond with faith and instead you cower back in fear. For some, you may even develop a disgust for the church. An actual disgust for the bride of Christ. And join a mob mentality against the Bible itself. If you think about the ways that you felt distant from God, ask yourself this question. Have you spent time being surgically discovered by God's word? If there's that distance there, if you really have felt that, I don't know if I, I, I can sense the presence of God working, active, living in my life. Is there, honestly, a distance from being surgically discovered by his word? Have you fallen from destroying arguments from every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God? Have you fallen from that? You not even know how to take captive every thought to obey Christ. Does that even matter to you? 
Does it even matter to take every thought captive to obey Christ? Have you allowed our society and certain cultural markers to determine what your application of Christianity looks like before you find yourself in God's word? I say to you with no reservation, to be biblical is to be courageous. To be biblical is to be courageous. In the face of everything that our society tells us and and how we're constantly bombarded with messages to, to look the other way, to be biblical in the face of that is a form of bravery. To tell someone that despite what everybody else believes, you're going to stand on the word of God is an expression of courage. It's when you find out that abstinence is more than a health campaign. Forgiving your oppressor becomes an act of faith. Paying your taxes becomes less of a burden. Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) But it's right. It's true. Be biblical. Be courageous. Cast down lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Don't be afraid because the Lord is with you. I can't emphasize enough the need to fall away from your own opinions, fall away from your own perspectives and cling to the Word of God. Allow it to help you to distinguish between your personal preferences and the definitive authority of God. And I I can guarantee you that in that process, there will be godly sorrow. I guarantee you that in that process, there will be repentance. There will be conviction. I can also guarantee you that there will be joy. That there will be lasting peace. And there will be that which is not an easily obtainable commodity in this world. There will be unequivocal truth. You fall away from those opinions and you find yourself resting in, clinging to God's word. In a world captive by lies, the word of God releases you with the truth. The truth is that no matter how far we fall, God's grace is sufficient And that where sin abounds in your secrets even, you can trust that God's grace abounds that much more. And that's how you know it's true. That's how you know it's real. Because when someone really knows who you are and yet still decides to love you perfectly... That's another level. That's not something that you can even find in the human institution of marriage. That's not something you can find in your best friend. That's not something you can find in your mom or your dad. That is something beyond what we could ask or think. That's love 
for someone to pierce down to the core of your soul and your spirit, know everything about you, every aspect of fallenness that you're willing to admit and that which you still conceal and you hide and you never want to talk about. And he says, I still love you. The gospel is power. It is restorative. It is all for you. That's a love you can only find in Jesus. I'm proud to be a Christian because I stand on a grace that I could not have contained or I could not have constructed. And to go out there and to find heartbreak and pain and people who let you down constantly and to continue to run back to the cross and find answers and find strength, find faithfulness, find truth, that'll make you die for this thing. That'll make you live until the end is seen in its fullness. That's what these, these, this audience here needed to hear. They needed to hear that there's something beyond all the torment and the struggle and the pain that they were going, th- going through. And they needed to see Jesus in his full glory, worth it, in a way that nothing else could compete with. Trust in him. Trust in his word. Trust in his gospel. The song says, take him at his word. Surgery is being performed by the good physician. Jesus is known as the good physician. A successful procedure leaves you with a new body, new affections, and eternal hope. That's what the good physician leaves you with. We're going to enter into a time where we take communion. I want you to consider what that means for you, the Word of God, doing the work that I can't do. If you're not, you don't follow Christ, you don't trust in Christ, I want to encourage you, let the elements pass. And take Jesus at his word. And those of us who do know Christ, let's take these elements and remember. Remember that his blood was shed and his body was broken. And that's everything for us. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. Thank you. Your love is greater. Your word is truer. And cast down the lofty opinions of society and every other place of this world. Count them not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. I just thank you for the sufficiency of your word, that we have a resting place, we have a refuge in your word and your promises. It is alive and active, accomplishing your purposes on this earth. We long to see your glory revealed. Thank you, God, just for giving us the opportunity to listen and hear from you directly. Pray, God, that you would 
call these things to our remembrance and continue to bring us back to a place of hunger and thirsting for your righteousness. Help us to learn how to love you more and to love our neighbor more. Teach us, God. Posture us in a way to where you would continue to get glory out of our lives by our submission to your word. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.